going to look in First Chronicles, and uh, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles, chapter six, as our starting point for our lesson tonight. As we're going through um, the prayer of Solomon, and Second uh, Chronicles, chapter six, and uh, verse fifteen will be our text verse tonight. Says thou which hast kept with thy servant David, my father, that which thou hast promised him, and spakest with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thine hand, as it is this day. And so Solomon's prayer. This is these words that we're reading, and these different verses that we're building the messages off of, are all the words of the of uh, Solomon as he's talking with his God. And last week we saw that he started out the prayer with praising uh, his God, praising the person of who God is. And uh, it's a good place to start in our prayer life is uh, talking about the goodness of our God and rejoicing in uh, the person of who we are created after and who we are saved to bring glory to. And that's how he uh, begins his prayer. But as you get down into verse 15, uh, in the going into the middle of his prayer, he, he, this uh, prayer it ponders the provision of God, and uh, he praises Him because his God is good to him and gracious to him. Uh, but he rejoices in the fact that God is a God who can provide for every need that we have. That's why I want to sing that song tonight. God will take care of you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God can take care of you, uh, pondering the provision of God. Whatever you're facing, God knows what it is that you need, and God can meet that need. And so I think when we pray, we ought to pray with a good, strong, positive spirit in rejoicing who God is, but also acknowledging that God has the ability, because of who he is, he has the ability to meet every need that I have in my life. One of the great concerns of the Christian is that God is that of God's ability to provide for him. And uh, I, I just rejoice in the fact since I've been saved just to watch in many, many different ways that God has shown himself faithful and true in providing. And uh, no matter what it is or whatever the situation is, we struggle day by day. And as we struggle day by day, we're faced with the reality of whether or not God is going to meet our needs. We struggle with the fact of whether or not God is able to provide for those needs and are we literally willing to position ourselves in a posture of acknowledging that we need God's assistance. We can't do it on our own. We can't accomplish it in our own strength. And so we need to turn to the God who is able to provide all things for us, no matter what they are or when they come into our lives. You know, David... As Solomon is praying here, he, he's acknowledging uh, his father David, and he says, that, Thou which hast kept with thy servant David my father, which thou hast promised him. And so he's acknowledging God's working in his father's life. And you could outline David's life, and uh, we're going to just give you some fill-ins here as far as how we can approach David's life and acknowledging how God had worked in his life. First of all, his, uh, he was totally dependent upon his God, and we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 16, in verse 12 and 13, this matter of his calling and his anointing. And uh, 
Oh, uh, first chron uh, first Samuel. I'm I'm in Chronicles. I better get in the right book here. Amen. I'm like that is not the verse that's supposed to be going here. So anyway, back in First Samuel, uh, chapter sixteen, uh, we see God beginning to work in the life of David as a young lad. And uh, first chron uh, first Samuel chapter sixteen and verse twelve and thirteen says, and he sent and brought him in. And uh, actually, verse 13, I wanted to read, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And so God's working and calling uh, David to be king of Israel. Samuel would anoint him uh, to be the king of Israel even when he was young. And uh uh, certainly, the, uh, Samuel had other brothers uh, that may have been older, may have been smarter, may have been bigger, may have been uh, 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 have better, greater abilities. But God had called David, and God anointed David as uh, Samuel would anoint him with oil. And so, the, God is able to provide for us if He's calling us and he's anointing us, then whatever we face in our life, he is able to strengthen us to meet that task. And so letter B is just simply this, is strength and opposition. And uh, you might be strong in the Lord, but you need to be strong in the Lord because you're going to face opposition. Uh, David would stand up against Goliath when no one else would stand up before him. And 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, and I am come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. And so when we think about our ability to have, be strengthened, God's working in our life and providing that strength, that strength is provided to us because of the fact there will be the enemies that we need to face, those that would oppose us. In verse 46 says, this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. Well, I mean, that's the type of spirit we ought to have. That's the positive attitude that we ought to have, that we don't face the difficulties and problems in life with a spirit of defeat. We don't face it with a spirit of depression and discouragement. We face the opposition, no matter how large it is or how difficult it might be able to, to have to uh, overcome it, uh, we're going and facing the enemy in the name of our God. And because of that, he'll give the victory. And so we know the story of David and Goliath and how God gave him the victory. But in chapter 18, in verse 8 and 9, it says, And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased them. Now you have the aggressive enemy, the Philistine, standing against David. But now you got one of his own standing against David. And uh, so much so, David would literally have to encourage himself in the Lord in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel because his men would speak of stoning him. And so we remind ourselves in these days of facing uh, opposition that God is with us irregardless of what the opposition may be. It may be coming from without, that's the, out, the enemy on the outside, or it may be coming within, uh, but it's for sure of this, uh, there is always going to be opposition and God has to provide us the strength 
to be able to stand against that opposition. So David was called and anointed, but he was strengthened to face the opposition. Then chapter 8 of 2 Samuel, we see his reign and dominion. If God be for us, who can stand against us? And God has a call upon us, as he did on David, to lead and, and take that leadership role. Uh, then don't be afraid of uh, the opportunity to lead when God opens the door to do so. In 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 14, it says, And he put uh, garrisons in Edom throughout all Edom, put he garrisons, and all they of Edom became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And David reigned over all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. There was a point where David was reigning and taking dominion and it was because of the provision of God in his life. And when God lifts us up and God gives us opportunities to stand uh, for him, let's be careful to give God the praise and give God the glory because he is the one who enables us to do what he calls us and bids us to do. And so uh, we see David, his reign and his dominion. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, we see David, his sin and confession. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. And how quickly we need to be willing to acknowledge our sin when we fall into sin. Uh, David is, was called a man after God's own heart, but David committed some horrible sins. And uh, listen, he was able to experience the provision of God over and over in his life because he was willing to acknowledge his sin and confess his sin before his God. In verse 14 it says, How be it because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. See, the problem is you can confess your sins and be forgiven. You can confess your sins and be cleansed from those sins, uh, but you can't change the outcome or the consequences of that sin. And I, I, people always want to live a life that's a reproach in the eyes of God, but they don't want to uh, suffer the consequences. They want to be able to uh, sow their oats, so to speak, and live out all that the world has to offer, and then later want to get right with God and get the blessings of God before they depart from this world, but they don't want any consequences upon themselves or upon their family members. But the reality is the sins of the fathers passed into the third and fourth generation. That's what Exodus 34 says. There are consequences for our sin. And so David was a man who you could outline his life uh, as a life that grew in the reality of God's provision. And when Solomon is rejoicing and dedicating the temple that he built for the glory of God, in his prayer, he acknowledges God's provision for his father, David. And uh, he's giving God praise for that. And so uh, there are always situations we have to deal with, things we must overcome. But let's not forget in our prayer, 
of dedication before the Lord that we rejoice in God's provision. We ponder it. We think upon it. We meditate upon the reality of what the goodness of God has been in our lives. So let's think of this prayer. Let's take this verse apart. You can see in your notes that uh, we just kind of took different phrases out of this verse to uh, uh, create our points. It says, Thou hast kept with thy servant David my father, that which thou hast promised him. And so talking about the provisions of God, the provisions of God are secured by God's promises. An old preacher years ago said the, promise, uh, the future is as bright as the promises of God. And Solomon is, is referencing the fact that God had made promises to David, and David may not have been a perfect individual, but the provision of God that was going on in David's life was not so much about David as it was about the God of David. And he said, you kept your promises to my father. And I thought about the secured promises of God, and I thought about eternal life. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And we're secure in eternity based on the promises of God. I've had people over the years tell me, you know, well, how do you, can you know? How can you know that their heaven is real? How can you know that you're saved and you're going to heaven? Because of the promise of God. A God who is a God who cannot lie. He is a God who is immutable, who cannot change. He is the one who has made a promise to our forefathers. He's the one who has made a promise to us that he would give us eternal life. And we live in light of the promise of God. Everything around us might be falling apart, but the promise of God does not change. And so we're secured by the pro God's promise of eternal life. I thought of this, that we're secured by God's promise in reference to a spiritual life. Uh, it's amazing to me how many people over the years have told me, well, you know, that might be good for you, but I just don't understand the scriptures and I can't be spiritual. Uh, yes, you can. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding and great, uh, exceeding great and precious promises that these might be uh, partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through loss. And so what is Peter doing? He's promising us that you can experience spiritual life. Uh, you can be spiritually sound because of the fact that God has already given us everything that we need in order to be holy and to be right with him. According to his divine nature, he has done that. And he has grounded that and given it to us uh, based on his promise that he would grow us in our faith. You know, it's an amazing thing to know that, uh, that when you turn to the Lord and you cry out to God, that God doesn't turn a deaf ear to you, but God will speak to you in a great way. Over the years, I've always been amazed when you're studying the Bible and you come across a hard Bible verse and you don't know what it means, and you get a commentary out, and you start reading all the commentaries, and nobody else knows what it means either. And uh, it just it, it, they'll have like one sentence in the commentary, and it's like, oh, come on, man, give me a break. you got to give me more than this. And I've just found this, that when you go to the Lord in prayer, 
believing the promises of God and trusting that God can speak to you just like he spoke to the uh, great preachers and missionaries of years gone by, that God can grow you in spiritual life. You can have a strong, vital spiritual life. And it's based on the promise of God. But he's also promised us abundant life. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have life, I'm sorry, that you might have it more abundantly. And so abundant life that God has for us. And I, I want everything. I don't want to miss out on anything. I really don't. If God has something he wants to do in my life, go ahead and do it, Lord. I, I want it. If God's going to bless in a particular way, I'm ready for it. Amen. I just, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not willing to settle for status quo if God has something greater and better. He's promised to give us a life that is an abundant life. And it isn't in reference to health, wealth, and prosperity, that's for sure. It is in reference to spiritual life that is vital and powerful and exciting and living in the reality of all that God is. And you say, how do you know that? Because God promised that. He said he would give us that. And uh, now that I've been saved for quite a few years, I'm thankful, I really am thankful that I can uh, rejoice in the fact that it has been an exciting journey. It has been an exciting life being saved and walking with God and living for the Lord. It is a thrill. I, I really can't comprehend. I really do have troubles with this. And you need to pray for me about that. But I have trouble trying to comprehend why people who say they're saved aren't excited about being saved. I just don't understand it. I don't understand young people who say they're going to heaven, they trust the Lord as their Savior somewhere in their life, but they absolutely want nothing to do with God and nothing to do with the church. There's something wrong with that. And the problem, the problem is, is they're not living in the realm of the abundant life that Christ has given us. And so God has promised to give me an abundant life. I'm thankful for that. But I think of a changed life. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And there's a completely changed life. And then verse chapter 7 in verse 1, if we continue to read the chapters, and realizing this, that God wrote, the, uh, the word of God was written by the Apostle Paul, and the chapters and verses weren't put in there by the Apostle Paul. It was a continuation of a letter that was be writ being written to the uh, believers at Corinth. And so he says, be separate, don't touch the unclean thing. I'll receive you, I'll be a father to you, you shall be my sons. And you'll be my daughter, saith the Lord Almighty, having therefore these promises. What promises? That you're my sons and you're my daughters. Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I remember years ago when I was a teenager, and I told my dad a bunch of kids were doing all kinds of different crazy things, as kids do. And uh, I remember telling my dad, oh, uh, well, everybody else is doing it. You know, I mean, that's a teenager's 
famous argument. Everybody, it's justified to do it because everybody else is doing it. I mean, they may be stupid and have no knowledge whatsoever what they're doing and the outcome of it, but everybody else is doing it, so it should be okay for me to do it. And my dad, I remember what he said to me. He said, boy, they're not my child. You're my child, and you're not going to do that. And I, I remember I got in some trouble, and my dad told me, he said, you know, he said, you represent me. You represent my name. And he told me, he, this is what he told me. This was before he was even saved. And he told me this. He said, you know, he said, I try to live my life in an honest way, and I have a reputation that I care to maintain with other people in our community and everything else. And he said, you're marring my name. With your conduct, you're marring my name. And that stuck with me. That shook me up. And you know what I found? That when I got saved, I'm identified with Christ. And my life, because I'm hid in Christ, I'm his son, my life either brings glory to his name or it mars his name. And so this matter of God speaking promises this to us. I want to live a life that is honorable to my God and is holy before my God. Why? Because he has given me great promises. He has said, this is what I'll do in your life. And so we want to live a changed life. We want to live a powerful life. Now, secured by God's promises. It's eternal, it's spiritual, it's abundant, it's changing, life-changing but it is powerful. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I don't know what you're facing in your life right now, but I know this. Christ is bigger and stronger and greater than what it is that you're facing. And he is powerful enough to get you through and be able to defeat whatever that is in your life. And uh, there's always situations that we have to deal with. And we just got to trust God for those things. D.L. Moody said this, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. <laughs> I read that. I started chuckling in my office. And uh, this morning I came across that. I was like, wow. Uh, there, and I never thought of it that way. God has never made a promise that's too good to be true. Sometimes we say, well, that really sounds good, but that's just too good to be true. Uh, well, if God said it, it's not too good to be true. It'll come to pass exactly like God said it would come to pass. And so the promise is God. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, God does not give us everything we want, but he does fulfill his promises, leading us along the best and straightest paths to himself. And that's what got me with that quote, is God has given us promises, and God works in our lives, and God blesses us in a great way. But you understand the end is that he's drawing us to himself. What, what good is it for me to go through a trial and be able to get, be victorious on the other side of the trial if I don't come out of the trial with a deeper understanding of who God is? What good is it for me to grab a hold of a promise from God that absolutely does nothing to draw me closer to who he is and where he is? And so, yes, God doesn't give us everything he wants, but he does fulfill his promises to us. And as he fulfills his promise to us, it draws us closer to him. And so 
were secured by the promises of God. Well, in our text verse, he says, Thou hast kept my, that, uh, with thy servant David my father that which thou hast promised him, secured by the promises of God. But notice it's confirmed by the voice of God. And it goes on, he says, And spakest with thy mouth. So the promise that was uh, David received from his God was a promise that was spoken by his God, confirming the promises that was given to him. So what does that mean? If God is going to speak to us, there must be a willingness, first of all, to listen. Why don't we listen to God? I, I, I've talked to people and, uh, you know, I've said, well, you know, uh, the word of God, we can go over to such and such verse or whatever and look at it. And I've had people say, well, I don't, I don't want to talk about what's in the Bible. You know, every time you get in trouble and every time you try to talk to somebody and, and then they say, well, what do you got to bring the Bible into it all the time? <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it really doesn't matter what I think. It really doesn't, folks. It doesn't matter what you think. What has God so stated? We have to be willing to listen to him. And First Samuel, we see this. Uh, well, experience here in the life of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 9 says, Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as it at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Um, you know, the, the world, the busyness in the world, all the stuff that goes on uh, just drowns out the ability for us to listen to God and, and be willing to hear the still small voice of God coming to us and speaking to us. And uh, well, you, you need to put aside um, the thoughts of despair in your life. If God has promises for you, then you need to listen to what it is God wants to say and what it is that God wants to reveal to you. And so we need to be willing to listen. And uh, we can't close our ears. We can't get angry. We can't get bitter. We can't get prideful because it will close down the ability of uh, listening to it. I know different times with dealing with students in the school, I always get tickled because you, you try to talk to them and you can see them. They're not looking at you. They're looking down. They're looking around. They're not paying attention at all. And uh, I, I literally, I tell them when I meet with them and I have to deal with them, I tell them, look, look, well, no, 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 let's stop right now. Before we go any farther, I want you to sit up. I want you to sit up and I want you to look at my eyeballs. Look at my God-given eyeball, Amen. And I said, now, and I'll tell them, now you listen to me. And that's what God does to us. He says, stop looking around at everybody else. Stop being consumed with your problems. I got something I want to tell you, but you're not listening. And so we need to be willing to listen to what it is that God has to say. I've never had God speak to me in an audible voice, but I can tell you one thing. God has spoken to me very loudly as I've read the scriptures. I mean, it's like the verses pop off the page. One of the things I love about fasting and praying is that when you read your Bible, when you're fasting, it's like the words just 
are 3D. I mean, they're just jumping off of the page. And God has your complete attention. You're willing to listen. And you know, uh, we need to be willing to accept God's statement. In Psalm 119 and verse 169 says, Let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. So be willing to accept. You know, when you, when you ask God something, you talk to the Lord about a situation, you know what God says a lot of times is not exactly what we want to do. And, and when we talk about listening to God, it's not us coming before the Lord with our preconceived ideas of what we would like to do and how to figure out the situation. No, it's going there with no pretense. Going there without, and, I, and I've told young people this and in Bible college you want to have preached or whatever, and I've told these young people, you do not determine the will of God by you going and telling God where you want to go. And then run to the Bible and try to find a verse that will fit in to what it is you want to do. That's not, that's not how you do it. You have to have a heart that's willing to say, God, whatever it is you want to say to me, whatever it is you want to speak to me, God, I'm willing to accept what you're saying. I don't understand it. I might not be able to comprehend it. It may be difficult for me to apply it. But God, I'm willing to listen, and I'm a willing spirit to accept what you say. And if you're going to be willing to listen and accept what God says, I tell you, it's very easy to be able to follow the Lord's leading in your life. You need to be willing to stand on God's truth. John chapter 17 and verse 14, Jesus, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. God has given us his word, and we must stand on his truth. It does not fit into our society. I mean, we have churches, uh, you know, that are doing all kinds of things with homosexual marriages and all these different things. Uh, I'm sorry, but God's word doesn't fit into that narrative. God's word does not fit in to that social standing. And so Jesus said, I've given them my word. I've given them your word. And the world's hated them. And so don't, don't be shocked by the fact that the world gets upset, but you have to be willing to stand on the truth. In verse 50, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so be willing just to stand. The confirmation of God's voice is that I'm not allowing the world to clutter my thinking and block my hearing of what God has to say, and I'm willing to accept whatever he says. And when I accept what he says, then I'm going to stand on what he has so stated. I'm not going to compromise on that thing. I like what Os Oswald Chambers said. He says, are you, uh, are you learning to say things after listening to God? Or are you saying things and then trying to make God's word fit in? That's a, that's a, that's a deep meditative thought. Because we, we all have our own fleshly desires. We all have our pretense we all have things that we think in our mind. 
in my life as, as a Christian, when I first got saved, what I thought my life was going to be and where God was going to take me and what God was going to do with me is absolutely nothing. Nothing like what my life has been in Christ and in ministry. I had all kinds of different ideas. And, uh, but I found this, I cannot be approaching God from the vantage point of this is what I think my life should be, so show me a verse or show me a way that I can make it happen. No, it's hands off. God, I'm willing just to be confirmed by your voice that this is where I'm supposed to go and this is what I'm supposed to do. Andrew Murray said this, prayer is not monologue. I think sometimes we think that. How often when you're praying do you just stop talking? That's a hard thing to do, just to stop talking. God can't get a word in edgewise. Because we think we got to talk, 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 talk all the time. No, you need to stop talking and start waiting for God to speak with his still small voice in your heart. Prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue. God's voice is its most essential part. The most important part of your prayer is not what you have to say, it's what does God have to say. Listening to God's voice is the secret of the assurance that we will listen, he will listen to mine. Why should God want to hear what we have to say if we're not willing to listen to what he has to say? So David... I'm sorry, Solomon in his prayer acknowledges that God had made promises to his father David. Solomon in his prayer acknowledges the fact that God had spoken to his father David. And then he acknowledges this and has fulfilled it with thy hand. He acknowledges that what God had spoken to his father David, God fulfilled by his own hand, not by David's hand. And so... First of all, you can look up these verses, we're running out of time. But oh, uh, first of all, David had to learn that his hand, that means God's hand, can defend us. David only stood up against Goliath because he was assured of the fact that God's hand was stronger than the hand of Goliath. And so God can defend you. We don't have to defend ourselves all the time. I learned this lesson years ago. Job 9.20, Job said, If I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. I thought when I got, was early as a Christian, when I thought early in ministry, that everything that went wrong and every accusation that people would bring against me or in the ministry I was involved in, that I always had to have an answer, and I always had to debate, and I always had to fight verbally to justify myself. And the reality is, every time I did it, I condemned myself. I found this, I don't have to give an answer. God gives an answer for me. I'm not, I'm not going to run around. I remember years ago, I think it was Dr. Shoemaker uh, and said, told me this, he said, and this was years ago, this was 25, 30 years ago, Dr. Shoemaker told me, he said, man, you, Mike, he said, you got to stop running around trying to put out the fires. 
He said, all you do is try to put out this fire over here, another one starts over here, and then another one starts over there. He said, yeah, let God take care of the fire. He says, stop trying to defend yourself because your own mouth's condemning yourself. God's hand is strong enough to defend you. David had to learn that God's hand, his hand can discipline us. Yes, there are those times when God does have to discipline us. And I'm thankful for that because it shows me that he loves me. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And I'm thankful that God's willing to correct me when I do wrong because the reality is I don't do right all the time. And I'm thankful that he corrects me and directs me in the way that I should go. Let her see there, his hand can feed us. You know, the children of Israel going through the wilderness had no means of supporting themselves, but God fed them from heaven. And you may not have the means of being able to provide for your needs, but God is able to provide. If God can feed the birds of the air, what makes you think he can't feed you? I'm just thankful that God has shown that over and over again that he can feed us. Letter D there, need to remember that God's hand uh, can deliver us, and he can deliver you uh, from whatever it is. David, listen, David said, reminded of, uh, 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 the men that God had defeated, uh, uh, enabled David to defeat the lion, yeah, enabled him to defeat the bear. Uh, it was God who was going to enable him to defeat Goliath. I mean, there are many, many situations that you need to be delivered, and I just know this, God delivers us out of them all. And so he fulfilled uh, the, uh, David's life uh, through the hand of God. And then his hand is able to satisfy us. And uh, we need to just be thankful and satisfied with the Lord. He is enough. He is sufficient. If that's all you have, he's sufficient. If you have no other means or no other way to turn or you have no one else with you, you're still, Christ is sufficient. He's enough. Be satisfied with the Lord. Uh, John Piper said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving sinners the right and power to delight in God without obscuring the glory of God. Are you satisfied with Christ? And Solomon, when he was praying, was acknowledging the fact that God had fulfilled all these things in the life of his father David by God's own hand. Robert Murray McShay said this, get your texts from God, your thoughts, your words from God. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful, awful, awful weapon in the hand of God. A word spoken by you when your conscience is clear and your heart full of God's spirit is worth 10,000 words spoken in unbelief and sin. Fulfilled by the hand of God. Then he talks about this. It was continued in God's timing. He said, thou, uh, thou which hast kept with thy servant David my father that which thou hast promised. There's the promise of God. And spake is with thy mouth. That's the voice of God. And fulfilled it with thine 
hand, that's the hand of God, is as it is this day. That's the timing of God. Continued in God's timing. God has the perfect timing. Letter A is just simply this, the coming of Christ. You read Galatians chapter 4, in the fullness of time God sent forth his son. God's timing is always right. Uh, that's letter B, the timing of Christ's coming. And then letter C is the return of Christ. And uh, listen, everything in reference to who Jesus is and coming is completely within the realm of the timing of God. And Dave, uh, Solomon is acknowledging as a, his prayer, even as it is this day, this is how you've been wor you worked in my father David's life. J.C. Raleigh said this, the early Christians made it a part of the religion to look for his return. Backward, they looked to the cross and atonement for sin and rejoiced in Christ crucified. Upward, they looked to Christ at the right hand of God and rejoiced in Christ in interceding. Forward, they looked to the promised return of their master and rejoiced in the thought that they would see him again as we ought to do the same. So here's some concluding thoughts. Uh, realize this, in this prayer, great prayer that is offered up by Solomon, uh, remember that the promises of God are positive. The po promises of God are positive. Uh, for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. The promises of God are uh, positive. People say, I just don't want to be a Christian. I don't believe that. I mean, they're just so negative. Well, you don't know the God I know. The promises of God are positive. Number two, the revelation of God is pointed. Daniel said this, I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desire of thee, for thou hast made known unto us the king's matter. The revelation of God is pointed. In other words, God's direct. He reveals specific things. And then number three there, the sureness of God is powerful. Because in Hebrews it says, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, or you could say a better covenant. The sureness of God is powerful because it is signed through in the blood of Jesus Christ and the covenant is sure. What a great prayer. I mean, I mean, what a great acknowledgement of the provision of God. And Solomon is not hesitating whatsoever uh, to give his God praise for what he did in his father David's life. Well, I hope that was a help to you. There's a lot of verses we didn't read. But take some time and do a study and look up those verses and read along. And I know it will be a help to you in putting these thoughts together.